Welcome to the Relentless Pursuit Podcast. A great task remains, and we all have a role we can play. But what do we do with the questions we have about missions, about walking with God, about ourselves? Well, here's a space for us to wrestle and discover together. We don't have to have it all figured out to take our next step. Welcome back, everyone. I'm really excited for today's conversation. I talk with Andrew, who is a coach here at Pioneers that helps people with what I think can be one of the biggest barriers for people who want to serve in long-term missions. So we're going to talk today about support raising, or as Andrew calls it, partnership development. This conversation was honest and helpful, practical, Andrew has incredible biblical perspective to offer us today, so lean into the passages that he shares along the way, as those are going to be just incredible resources for you as you continue your missions journey. So here's my episode with Andrew. Today is really a treat because I get to have a conversation with my neighbor, right, Andrew? We're, we're totally neighbors. We share a neighborhood. That's right. Howdy, neighbor. <laughs> Yeah. Hi, good to see you. Um, Today's cool because I feel like this is both your story that we get to hear today and also it's so practical and it's it's relevant and it's helpful for really anyone who wants to engage in like global ministry. And so I think today is going to be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Um, Okay, I want to hear all about obviously what you do at Pioneers, but before I ask that, can you tell us, bring us up to speed then of how did you get here? Where were you before you joined us? Yeah, absolutely. We, my wife and I, were actually serving in a large country in East Asia for three years with another missions organization. And so we were there, we were in a huge city. I tell people that our apartment complex probably had about 10,000 people living in it. Oh my gosh. Grouped in about 20 or so 31-story buildings. So wow. That was our life. We we actually liked it a lot. But anyway, we were there. We were mostly doing ministry amongst college students. We were doing a lot of evangelism, discipleship and working alongside local churches there. And we also were a part of an incredible international church. And anyway, the Pioneers came about through a couple at our church. Uh, he, the, the guy even served as a pastor for a little while at that church, but his, his work involved actually trying to share the gospel and do church planning amongst a people group in the same country that was far less reached than the majority people group. Hmm. And so... My wife and I loved what we were getting to do, but as time went on, God was doing two things in our in our hearts and lives. One was we were involved with a, a like I said, a, a wonderful international church, very healthy, and God was growing in us more and more the understanding of the centrality of the local church in the, both the life of any believer and the centrality of the local church in the spread of the gospel. And so we more and more grew to have the feeling of no matter what we're doing in ministry, we want, we want it to be as like church centric as focused, that that's the end goal. And mm-hmm. the other thing that the Lord was doing was we were 
we were in a huge country and we were learning more about the population makeup. And it turns out that there, there's actually hundreds of distinct people groups or language groups in that country. The one that made up 90% of the population, although still relatively unreached compared to maybe a place like America, it's by God's grace, very reached compared to hundreds of these smaller groups. And so for my wife and I, we were like, you know what? We want to be in this country long-term, but if we are going to be here long-term, it just doesn't make sense to stay course. Let's focus on one of these smaller people groups, like what Derek and Lacey are doing, the, the couple that I mentioned. And so we decided to, I mean, to make a long story short, we decided to switch to Pioneers and we came back that summer to make the switch, but that was uh, also inopportune timing because a lot of things were happening in that country that made it so that we could not return. I don't know how, yeah. Sorry, I don't know how yeah. much I can for security reasons. Well, no, that's all right. But but you, so you've been here ever since then. You haven't yeah, been able to go back yet. Summer of 2018. Wow. Yeah. So you so you met Pioneer. Well, you you came back so that you could you know join this org, and in yeah. the meantime, you've been working here like at our Pioneer's office alongside all of us, and it's been such a treat for us because. Obviously, when people who have been on the field can, you know, pop into our office, like work alongside us, we get to hear stories. It's so exciting for us to just glean off of your momentum and your vision. So now that you are kind of you've been serving like here on our pioneers team um, rather than, you know, in the field, um, what has been your role here? Yeah, well, my role here has I'm very thankful for it, first off, because we we didn't know what to do when all these doors were closing. Totally, but yeah. For the past uh, several years, I've gotten to serve at on the pre-field team, which is the team that's helping future missionaries get to the field. And my specific role has been that of a partnership development coach. Okay, fancy. So <laughs> what is partnership development? Uh, yeah, can you can you bring us in a little bit to what does yeah. that mean? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm glad you ask. Anyway, partnership development, different organizations will use different words for this, but, right, but what right. we mean at Pioneers when we say partnership development is the process of trusting the Lord to raise up ministry partners who will both pray, pray for the missionary and for the people that that missionary is going to and to give financially toward that missionary and the work that they are doing. And so partnership development is the process of initiating, interacting, and inviting people in churches to be Mm -hmm. a part of what the Lord is doing. And that involves many things, but it's, yeah, the easiest way to think of it is just, it's, it's a team of prayer and financial partners. Yeah. Yeah. So as a coach, then what are ways that you've been, I guess, like helping our, you know, potential field workers begin these developments or begin these partnerships? I mean, what are things that you get to do with them? Well, I, I hope I'm helpful. Some of them, some oh, of them, yeah, totally. hear my calls. it's like, oh, this is the guy who's uh, supposed <laughs> to hold me accountable. But, That's right. 
Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's a good question. The, the main thing that my role consists of is trying to walk with appointees, these future missionaries through the process. And so I'm, I'm meeting with them to go over what the biblical foundation for partnership development is. I'm trying to walk them through all the practical aspects of it. Like, what does it look like to set up an appointment? Now, what does it look like to go and present your ministry and and share Mm -hmm. and then invite people to be a part of that? And so it's a lot of foundational things and then a lot of practical things. And it's a coaching relationship where I'm getting to meet, meet with people every week or so and, and track with how they're doing and, and try to even help them set goals and press on amidst the discouragements and continue to, to trust the Lord and, and act in faith. Oh man, which is big time. Speaking from someone who has, I've developed partnerships before. I, I know what it feels like and to have a coach be available to you to help bolster you up and to keep going and to cast vision. That's I mean, I hope you, <laughs> I hope that you feel blessed in the work that you do because it, I mean, it's, it's a really big deal. Um, and I wouldn't be able to speak to maybe the, the year that we noticed a transition maybe here in the Western church, but I know that there was a time when global workers were almost like fully supported by the church. Like, like maybe mm. they in the entirety of their support or even just their finances was coming directly from some kind of just sending church or sending church, meaning a group of people, I guess, here in the States that would care for you and and be able to provide financially. But sometime I feel like in the last X, Y, Z amount of years, um, it's become a thing where now, yes, the church supports global workers and you can develop these private relationships with families and friends and coworkers and strangers. And so I feel like just the, it's almost like just the bounds of partnership development have expanded beyond our imagination, like more than we could ever imagine, like the relationships, like the door for that has flung wide open. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And again, I wouldn't be able to quote, like when, when did we see that trend kind of start here in the States? But I, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious, but anyway, um, Andrew, why would you say then that raising support is such a big barrier for so many people who really are interested in missions? Yeah, that that's a great question because, again, I don't I don't have statistics on this, but I would guess that it's got to be one of the leading factors for why people don't end up going to yeah. the field. Yeah, I've had a lot of conversations with people who are in the process. And even though they're committed, they're like, all right, I'm going to do this thing. It's, it's still difficult. I think some of the reasons for that are, are simply that people just don't know what it looks like. It's like, how am I supposed to raise all this money so that I can go mm-hmm. live in another country? Like I need people yeah. who are going to give toward my ministry on a monthly basis. Um, I need people who are committed to praying for me. So how do I get from where I'm at right now to having a team of committed people like that. They have no idea where to start. I think that's one huge barrier. I think another huge barrier, though, is just people often have this knee-jerk reaction to the thought of partnership development that can go along the lines of, well, that that feels yucky. I, I, that makes me feel like a used car salesman or wow, yeah. like I'm just begging for money. 
And everyone who I talk to is in the back of their mind that they're probably going to be nice enough to not say it, but in the back of their mind, they're going to be like, <laughs> when is Andrew going to get a real job? This guy's got to go. Yeah, so totally. there's, there's fears uh, surrounding that. I think along with that, the, we're, we're, I think Americans probably fear even more than snakes and spiders. We fear awkward conversations. So I Oof. think that's, yeah. that's something that's on people's mind. They don't want to, annoy friends or potentially strain relationships in their mind, that could be a, an effective partnership development. And then, and then one, one final thing that I don't see in everyone, but I, I see this come up enough that, that I want to address it later. But I think sometimes people even might feel like partnership development, the process of uh, pursuing people and inviting people to be partners in ministry Sometimes they feel like that might even be a little bit unspiritual because maybe they've had it ingrained that if you want God to provide, you've got to just pray for that and trust him. If God's going to send you to the mission field, then by golly, he's going to do it himself. And you're just going to kind of sit there and the money's going to come in and you're going to go. And so I think that idea also can be a stumbling block at times. It feels very unspiritual to, to pursue people in that. Oh yeah. Man, this all sounds way too familiar. I I mean, been there for all these things you've mentioned. I mean, these all, every single one that you mentioned, it's like, oh yeah, I've been, I've, I've thought that before, or I've been scared before, or I almost didn't show up to an appointment because I was too afraid to, you know, put the ask out there for friends. And, and actually a quick, quick uh, side note right here that I'd love for you to speak to when we say, you know, we're developing partners for our prayerful and financial needs, you know, to do global mission, um, this is going to look different for every org because every, you know, organization is going to have kind of their own lay of the land of how are we able to provide for our workers, you know, how can we pay them, things like this. But specifically for pioneers, when we say that, what does that mean? So like, what are they funding? What What is this development for? Yeah. Really good question. The funding is for multiple things. One, it's for your actual living expenses on the field. So obviously, you're going to have to pay the bills in order to live overseas as a vocational worker. That's one thing. Another thing is you're raising money for all the ministry expenses that come alongside that. So you're raising money for hospitality, events, materials, discipleship materials, evangelism materials, anything you can think of that would be involved in trying to reach the people that you're around with the gospel. And then another big category is you're raising money for things such as healthcare and even saving, savings. And so this is important because I think Sometimes people have this idea of like, well, if you're a missionary, that means you're signing up to basically go without those things. Like if you cut like a vow of poverty or something. Yeah. Yes. That's a good way to put it. Yes, exactly. A vow of poverty. (laughs) And so, and it's like, yeah, (laughs) if you, you know, cut your leg in the jungle or get bitten by a snake, you just cut off your leg and then keep going because you've taken that vow of poverty. You've taken that vow of no health insurance or whatever it may be. So anyway- that's, we don't believe that that is a great idea. We want for the sake of the gospel going forth, we want missionaries who don't have to constantly be stressing about 
healthcare insofar as they can. We don't want them to constantly be stressed. Like if, if a missionary doesn't have enough margin in their budget to have their neighbors over for dinner, that's a problem because they're yeah. there to be building relationships and showing hospitality. And some pioneer, some people with pioneers, many missionaries, they'll have a job. Maybe it will be a full-time or part-time job that brings in some money, but for just about, for, for the vast majority of missionaries, they're going to at least have to raise some support to provide for their needs so that they can actually live in a country long-term and so that they can at least have some margin to really do ministry. Because yeah. if you've got a few kids and you've got a 50 hour a week job overseas and you're trying to care for your family and, and do your job at work and adjust to living in a new culture and learning a new language, you can, of course, still do much ministry, and hopefully your job is opening up many doors for that, but it's just a different ballgame than someone who is able, who's not as tied down to needing to earn enough money from, from their vocation. Right. right. Thanks for explaining that. I think that might help to clear up maybe any, any kind of confusion around what is even the financial partnership for? Why would I even need that? So thanks for yeah. explaining. Um, Okay. So a little bit earlier, you were describing what you do as a coach. And one of the things you said, I think, was you're helping to kind of lay a foundation. Like you want to be able for there to, to be like a biblical basis foundation for people who are raising these partnerships and developing these partnerships. And so what did you mean by that? What are these foundations, these yeah, these kind of magical foundations that are being laid for people? Not magical. I was being dramatic. But anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you already told me that it couldn't be a four-hour episode, so I'm going to have to really restrain myself. <laughs> That's right. Here. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, that's a great question. And and please interject if you have a thought or a question as I'm going through a few things, but I am going to try sure. to be brief. The one thing I'd want to say right at the outset is just by way of methodology, let's remind ourselves that the Bible is not a partnership development handbook. That, of course, mm-hmm. is not the point of God's word. God's word is about God's gracious, redemptive acts in human history, how God is saving his people and restoring all things mm-hmm. in his son, Jesus Christ. And so I think we can get caught up sometimes if we put this unfair burden on the Bible as if the Bible has to have a verse that says, thou shall invite people to partner with you in ministry Hmm. in order for that to be valid. So I just want to point that out at the outset. But with that caveat, I do think we can find a lot of principles and examples that will help us in this endeavor in God's word. Because ultimately, I think anyone can agree that we want the Bible, not our feelings, not our fears, not our insecurities. Hmm. We want the Bible to be what is actually shaping the way we think and the way we feel about partnership development. So with that being said, yeah, to to give a brief survey, I like to point out first off the idea of some of God's people being set apart to do specific or special ministry is not something that I came up with, not even something Hmm. that 
the Pioneers founder came up with or whoever it, you might point to. This is not a recent innovation of even the modern missionary movement. This is, you can look all the way back to God's people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, and see a similar paradigm. What I mean by that is, think about the Levites and the priests. They were set apart to minister around the tent of meeting or, or the temple, and they were to be supported by the tithes of the rest of God's people. That's right. Yeah. And so if you're, yeah. And anyone who's interested in looking into that more, Numbers 18 is one great passage that you can dive into, but there's, it's throughout the rest of the Pentateuch as well. You can glean how the Levites and the priests were set apart and they were provided for by the offerings of the people and the tithes of the people. So in addition to that, you may say, well, that's great. Uh, the Levites are cool, but we're not Israel and there's, we don't have a temple anymore. I want sure, to be more yeah. of like a, a follower of Christ. I want to follow, you know, let's, uh, let's uh, not get carried away with the Levites thing, Andrew. And to that, <laughs> I, I would want to say, well, it's fascinating. I, I don't want to read too much into this one verse, but in Luke chapter eight, in the first few verses, it actually says that the, there were women who were traveling with and providing for Jesus and mm -hmm. the 12 out of their means. And so yeah. it seems like even Jesus during his public ministry was in different ways being supported by others. And that would include material needs and I'm sure prayer. So And a place to sleep, <laughs> couches yeah, yeah. To, to surf yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I know Jesus took a vow of poverty, but yeah, he probably wanted a, a place to sleep too. I'm just yeah. kidding. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought that was a, that was a great, uh, great image. Um, but yeah, so I think that's really interesting to think about even Christ's example. I also, you know, talk about Paul because although Paul did, he was in the tent making business at times, he, this wasn't necessarily his preferred method. This wasn't necessarily normal. When he would do it, it was for specific reasons, such as a problem of laziness amongst the Thessalonians. And so Paul's preference seems to be to be much more freed up for full-time proclamation and ministry. And I think it's really cool to think about how Ro the, the book of Romans is Thought of, thought of as Paul's systematic theology. It's one of the most grand statements of the his understanding of the gospel, the work of Christ. And for good reason, it's it's a prominent book that Christians think of when they're, you know, how, how many how many Christians would share the gospel these days without appealing to at least one verse from Romans? You know what I'm mm. saying? It's it's, uh, it's yeah. Clutch. But anyway, what's crazy, what, what often goes unnoticed is that Paul's letter to the Romans is actually functioning also as a sort of missionary support letter. Because when you look at chapter 15, his point in that chapter is all about the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles, the, the gathering in of the nations. And in verses 24 and 28, he's literally asking the Roman church, please send me on my way to Spain so that I can go take the gospel to a place where Christ has not yet been named. Mm -hmm. So the last 
just one more real quick. I, I love third John because it doesn't get enough love, but it also has a really helpful, helpful passage. And in it, Paul encourages Gaius and the church that I, I believe was meeting at his house. He encourages them to actually support traveling Christian workers who, although they were strangers to him, it says in verse six that that or verse seven, they have gone out for the sake of the name, the name of Christ. And so Paul says, you will therefore do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Then he goes on to say in verse eight, that we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth, or that we may work together for the truth. So we're seeing partnership, we're mm, seeing yeah. support, and it's for traveling Christian workers, even traveling Christian workers that Gaius did not necessarily know super well, but they were commended by Paul. And that was good enough reason for him to consider supporting them materially and of course, prayerfully. So that's, that's a few thoughts, but I, I would also want to say that I think convincing people that it's, biblical or that it's okay biblically, I, I don't know if I that's necessarily the hang up that I see the most in people. I think that it usually has more to do with feeling uncomfortable and fearful and not knowing how to go about it. But yet the biblical foundation I think is still very helpful and it does help with that. But I think there's often a little bit more going on there than just like, well, I don't know if this is biblical. Right. No, no. Thanks for laying that foundation down. Um, I feel like people just got a free masterclass to uh, to what is partnership development. So thanks for explaining that. Yes. And for anyone who even I feel like is currently, um, you know, in a support raised position in kind of their ministry work, if they were to have heard just you re, you know, reading Third John kind of over them that that this exclamation of why do we partner? Why do we send? Why do we give? Um, that just brings so much refreshment, I think, to our ministries that might sometimes just feel dull or feel like, man, um, why do we do this? Or or um, how can we keep praying for our ministry to grow with partners, things like that. That was just really helpful. So thanks for laying out those, even just the passages. And there's a theme. I mean, it's a string all through the Bible. And like you said, I agree. I'm glad you said this, but it's not as if the Bible was made just to give us a manual of how to raise support. And yet there is definitely a theme there of how God has designed it that we might be um, given the support of those around us to finish this great task. And so yeah, I'm really glad you laid that out. Um, so now that I guess it makes sense, kind of the foundations that you're helping people to maybe just walk through as they begin developing these partners, what do you tell people who share their concerns with you about it? I mean, when they come to you and say, oh, Andrew, you know, I, I really can't do this or, or I, I don't see myself doing this or it's impossible or, you know, I'm sure you've heard a lot of things, but what what do you tell them? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's difficult because first off I want to tell them, hey, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I yeah. these just about any feeling that someone's going to describe to me is not foreign to me. So, oh, yeah. first off I want to just really affirm that and remind them that I they probably can't find a single person who hasn't who can at least who has raised support and can't identify with what they're thinking. And I think that's helpful. For sure. People. Yeah. 
Yeah, but then beyond just the the empathy, I want to really my goal is to get them from a place to of of seeing partnership development as basically a necessary evil that just comes along with the glorious work of missions. I want them to go from there to actually seeing it as a blessing and a ministry in and of itself, both mm-hmm. both to them and to whoever they talk to. And so one of the passages that I always come back to is Philippians 4. And in Philippians 4, well, in the whole book of Philippians, there's a theme of partnership. It It's kind of like an inclusio where Paul mentions partnership both at the beginning of the book in chapter one and at the end in chapter four. So at the very beginning in, in verse three, he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all for in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He goes on to update them about how through his suffering in prison, the gospel is actually spread. And then in chapter four, he comes back and, and brings up their partnership again and says that it was kind of you to share in my trouble and you, as and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And so he's acknowledging their partnership and thanking them. And this is one of the things I try to always highlight. In verse 17, Paul says something profound. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So he's thanked them for sending help for his needs time and again in verse 16. But then he says, not that I seek the gift, not that I seek what you can do for me, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Mm -hmm. And so here we're seeing a picture of, it can also be translated as the profit that accrues to your account. So there is blessing that comes with giving and Paul is seeking that for his ministry partners. Does Paul need to eat? Yes. Does Paul need to have a pillow to lay his head on at night, a place to stay? Yes. But Paul doesn't just see that. He sees how they're actually bearing fruit in their generosity, and he seeks that for them. They're bearing fruit of obedience to God. They are investing in the kingdom. I think there's a real connection in from this verse to when Jesus is talking about laying up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. And so Paul rejoices that the people who are partnering with him are bearing fruit that is of eternal significance. And I think that's the posture that we need to have when we go about partnership development too. That's amazing because I think uh, it makes the relationship then not feel like it's one-sided. Like you're, you are only asking and asking for the blessing. But now we see it's like this mutual relationship where we are equally being blessed from the giving and the receiving of these gifts. And and I, I think that's just – that's what makes it feel like it's such a deeper connection than just if somebody was selling you something. And then yes. like you just have this exchange and it's very cold. And I don't know. I think that's just really powerful that Paul has – he's posed it as, okay, it's almost as if the gift itself is not irrelevant. But in the verse, it's almost like, okay, forget the gift for a second. We're talking about like – 
the fruit that is to come, like as you share in this joy of of giving and and all that's to come, even so credit, I'm guessing that also means then like eternally, like yes. what awaits you in heaven. And so, oh yeah, that's, that's, if, it, if there was ever anything to feel like encouraged by or motivated by, I feel like those are the words for me that are just so life-giving for a partnership. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's almost as if Paul's saying, thank you guys so much, but really you should be thanking me. Yeah. <laughs> not quite saying that, but, but that's it's, right. It's, yeah. About? And, and I also really like in verse 18, he goes on to say, I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Hmm, and yeah. this is really helpful for me too, because it reminds me that when people give, it is first and foremost Godward. It's an act of worship. They yeah. are giving because as believers, they're thankful for what God has given them. And they're trying to figure out how they can steward their resources. And they want to do it in a way that will glorify their Lord and Savior. And so it helps to be reminded that it's not about me. Hmm. It's it's about God being glorified amongst all peoples. It's about the spread of the gospel for for his namesake and for the good of the peoples, of all the peoples of the world. And me and my partners, we're just the same and that we get to share in that. I think I've seen this in my own developing of partners. Um, there was a time when and a, a couple people come to mind, a couple families even come to mind of what you're describing here, where we had initially, me and my husband had initially met up with them for kind of that first coffee of, hey, can we tell you about what we're doing and invite you into it? And I think at that point, you know, we were in a, in a place where we were asking for a certain kind of commitment, like, hey, we're, we're kind of preparing for a two-year commitment for this first initial kind of launch of this ministry. Would you be able to commit to that? Maybe even like as a one-time gift, of course, and if you consider it, you know, maybe like a monthly, like a recurring gift. Okay. So this family, they maybe not uh, I, I don't want to speak over them or, you know, assume of what they were kind of was going through their mind. But I think I just noticed a little bit of hesitancy of like, uh, like, I think we're interested in supporting you, but we're not really sure what it looks like yet. Um, yeah, we want to, we, we would like to start, you know, partnering with you and here's the amount we can give. Incredible. Like, of course, thank you. I mean, even because you felt that hesitancy, but you still wanted to partner with us, that that's incredible to us. Okay, a few months go by. And Ethan and I, my husband, we had always, you know, prayed after kind of those initial appointments that, like you said, that there would be something in their hearts that would swell, almost like as a result of their giving. Would God bless them? Would God um, show them and, and help them to see how the gifts that they are stewarding from God are being used and it brings delight to them. Like we wanted just, we prayed for just kind of that liveliness to enter these people's lives. Okay. So fast forward a few months, we get this random text, email, whatever it was of just this family reaching back out to us saying, oh, do you know what? We recently got this huge bonus at work and we've been praying about where to put it. Actually, could we give it to you and it, would, would it bless your ministry? And so I think the, the excitement there was that like as we prayed that not that they would just, you know, 
you know, throw all this money at us all the time. That 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 felt so much less of what it was and more of we prayed that God would just stir something in them, that they would just find delight, like in this ministry, in this work. And on their own, you know, they'd reach out to us saying, We've got this gift here. Can we give it to you? Like we really want it to be a blessing to somebody. And this happened multiple times where people, kind of without us even reaching out or following up again, they would just they'd want to keep going and keep partnering. And I imagine because of just the work in their own hearts from God of this fruit was multiplying and they were seeing just this abundance of like the inheritance of God in their own life. And it, for me and Ethan, it made us so giddy. I mean, we just probably were the, you know, goofiest people after we'd get these phone calls because it just felt like, God, you're doing so much more than just helping us, you know, be able to afford to live overseas someday. You are you are building up just the lives of your people. And anyway, not to belabor this topic, but I but I see what you're saying and I agree that I think there's there's just more than we like you and I on a human mm. level could ever do to stir up people's hearts for giving. I think because the gifts are from God, only he could do that. So, yeah, go Paul yeah. and and he's spurring us on in Philippians like for the fruit. So yeah. anyway, yeah, I just wanted to add that in. Yeah, that's that's encouraging. And I think that that's that brings me to another point I like to harp on with with future missionaries is that partnership development is a ministry in and of itself. Because hmm. through partnership development, like you just gave examples of, God uses that to stir in his people's hearts to give more generous, generously in other ways, to be more concerned with the needs of people around the world who are so far from us, who we, we may never meet personally yet have yeah. the desperate need of being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And partnership development is, I'm stealing this from one of the other pre-field coaches, but she she likes to say that partnership development is us bringing unreached people groups before the church here in America, because in getting mm -hmm. to share about what we're doing, we're, ex we're advocating for them. We're exposing the church here to things that they may not be aware of at all. Or even if they are aware of them, we're reminding them, Hey, you know, let, let's, let's look up at times and, and see the vast needs of this world and the people around the world who don't have the embarrassment of resources and churches and Bible translations and stuff like that, that we have. And so mm -hmm. I love that it's a ministry in that way. And I also love that even on a more basic, just friendship, relational fellowship level, partnership development's an opportunity just to build up each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're getting to, to encourage and maybe even challenge as we talk about God's heart for the world with people who don't have the the privilege maybe of getting to think about that as often. Yeah. I'm wondering too, uh, what's been your experience of people who have wanted to engage relationships with, with potential partners who are potentially, I mean, in the church and are very aware of the biblical basis of missions. But then also maybe you've got coworkers who really aren't followers of Jesus, or maybe you don't even understand the Bible or read the Bible or trust God, 
but would you still be able to invite them to consider? I mean, the way you're making it sound is, is you know, as um, it's not so transactional to where you're just trying to sell someone like, you know, a, a thing and have them get on board. Um, but it also is an investment. But for maybe somebody who wouldn't maybe understand the spiritual investment of that, could you still invite them or could you still build like the relational intimacy with them to invite them to support you? Or yeah, what's the d- dynamic there of, of people you can invite? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. I think that with that question, you know, how how would we potentially invite someone who's who's not a Christian, doesn't even claim to be a Christian? I think yeah. I would say that partnership development is an incredible evangelistic opportunity in that way. Because it it can definitely look different with someone who's not a believer. And I I wouldn't necessarily like encourage people to ask for non-believers to support them financially. And of course you wouldn't ask them to pray for you. Um, I mean, I guess they could send you good vibes, you know, whatever, <laughs> but uh, sure. whatever that means. But, um, you know, so, but I think that it's an incredible opportunity to with, with someone like a friend or a coworker who isn't a believer to sit down with them and talk about what you're doing, why you're doing it and use that as a chance to talk about, the gospel, talk about what Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection so that sinners like us could be reconciled to to God. And mm-hmm. so I think it's a great opportunity. And I encourage people to just be, I mean, sometimes people are like, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to invite them to partner anyway, even though they're not a Christian, because, hey, maybe they'll want to. And that does happen sometimes. And, yeah. and I think yeah. that's fine if you feel comfortable with that. I, I just say, just make sure that you're being really clear that it's not just like some humanitarian work alone that you're doing. You want to make sure mm-hmm. that they understand that part of what you're doing is also like gospel proclamation and church planting so that you don't have on your conscience like, oh, they kind of support me now, but they probably just think I'm building wells or d- digging wells. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, and I, I was curious if that was going to be a concern for some people of, you know, maybe even if their family aren't believers or that maybe their folks aren't believers, that there might be a lot of timidity there of feeling like I have to even just convince my parents that, you know, what I'm doing or how I'm raising these funds is biblical. Like this is actually a good thing. And I've, I've actually, I have quite a few friends whose families, um, really don't understand and they actually really don't like that their children have these develop these, these partnerships for their own finances, um, for their own financial support. Now, by the grace of God, they've still mean they've been able to raise these funds, raise these partnerships, and um, their ministry has been fueled in that way. And so, I think too, it, it almost builds this sense of. Um, I want to be careful how I word it, not to say that, you know, we can convince people that Jesus is credible or like that we can put him into these manageable terms mm-hmm. of like, look, see, I raised the support. God must be real. Because I think that there's so much more there of like, yes, this would be a great invitation for your parents to see that we we follow and we serve a big God who can, yeah, raise help me raise all this support. Like this this was a worth worthy endeavor for me. But I, yeah, I'm curious then, like how would these concerns continue to just, I don't know, how would people kind of handle or hold these concerns of family dynamics or uh, maybe if their family has a history of being really upset at the church, 
there's a lot there. We don't have to unpack it all, obviously, but you're stirring up. I think there's so many good, good aspects of these relationships, Andrew, that I'm sure you've heard millions of questions from people who are just, yeah, they, they, they want to do it well, but they have some concerns. Yeah, that, that is really difficult. Any, anytime family is looking unfavorably at what you're doing, that's, that's going to cause tremendous difficulty. And I think, I don't know if second guessing is the best word for it, but yeah, that, that's just really, that's hard. I, I don't necessarily have, have great advice because I think at the end of the day, you just want to try to communicate as clearly with them as possible what you're doing and why you're doing it. And maybe it would even help for them to get more of a bird's eye view of what partnership development actually means and your understanding of that so that they don't think, because maybe they, they may be the ones who are most prone to think that you're just like a used car salesman or selling Girl Scout cookies or begging for money, mm-hmm. whatever the negative stereotype may be. And so yeah. perhaps just trying to bring them into it as much as you can, as much as they're willing could be helpful. And yeah, hopefully that in time they would see even that that God would use that a lot, to, whether it's use it to see how seriously you're taking you're staking your your very life on God's word and the because like if God's word isn't true why in the world would anyone want to right go live somewhere that's difficult and learn another language so you know hopefully God could use it in so many ways but I think hopefully the communication clear communication of, and being open would hopefully help toward that end yeah yeah I think so too um We've been talking a lot about um, the people that you help coach and kind of their scenarios, their struggles. I would love to turn a little bit more inward now, and I want to hear your story. Like, what's your personal story in your journey of support raising? Um, Were you always a fan of it? Like, were you always this bought in, or did you have struggle, or, you know, how did you – I don't know. How did you kind of overcome the barriers for yourself? Yeah. It's it's funny. I'm, as you're saying that, I'm like, am I a fan? <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I think, well, the first organization we were with, I think really did equip us well. And I think that's part of what set me up to to do this role. Okay. How, yeah. how good a job they did at giving us both the foundation and practical skills. But even for me, I remember after my first appointment, literally the first one, I just felt in a funk. And it was actually, mm-hmm. believe it or not, it was Philippians 4, the passage that we talked a little bit about earlier that really helped me and really quickly brought me out of that. And as as time went on, I just was more and more encouraged and more and more could see partnership development. And I think the right way, which is that it is a ministry. It's a opportunity to involve God's people in the spread of the gospel to all nations, which that's something we're already all called to, and it's a privilege. And so as I saw it more and more in that way, I just, you know, even though not saying that there was never like, you know, fears or thoughts of like, oh, I don't know how to go about this conversation. This could be weird. Those those still can happen anytime, you know, but, but yeah. overall, at least having just more of a foundation of seeing partnership development for the good that it is. And that at the end of the day, it's not about 
it's not about me. It's not about the money, the support raising. It's, it's about God's word spreading. It's about the church being built. So that was helpful. The funny thing, I will share a funny story. Partnership development actually plays a role in me proposing to my wife. So let, let me explain. Oh, yeah, please do. Random. So th- it wasn't intentional either. But anyway, this was, this was about uh, six and a half years ago. I wanted to surprise my wife, Anna. We were living in different cities at the time, and I was planning on proposing to her, and I wanted it to come out of nowhere to her, that she would be shocked and surprised. So anyway, I was trying to be all sneaky. My plan was to... I, I was I was there for the weekend, and my plan was to tell her that I was leaving, but then secretly stay in town and surprise her the next day. And so I'd ask a friend to set up a little hangout with Anna, so oh, that I like Anna where this is over. going. Yeah, so Anna, I had it all planned out perfectly. Anna was going to come over to her place. I was going to like jump out from behind the couch or something, and then I was going to whisk her away and take her to the Florida coast where there's a nice lighthouse have a little picnic and propose to her at sunset. Oh, so, wow. So that was my elaborate plan. But as as uh, time was leading up to that, this was like maybe a week before, I'm asking Anna, you know, we're talking. I'm like, yeah, what, what are you up to next week after I'm gone? And she's telling me. And I see on her schedule that at 2.30 that Monday, when she was supposed to hang out with the friend so that I could surprise her, I see 2.30, Mrs. Yang. And I'm like, Anna, who's Mrs. Yang? <laughs> what is going on? So, I mean, I, I ask it more normally because I was, I was being calm, cool, and collected, you know? But right, 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 anyway, right. I'm like, who's Mrs. Yang? And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm having... So we were actually, at the time, raising support to go back to that big country in East Asia. So, so we were both in that process. And anyway, she's like, yeah, Mrs. Okay. Yang, I haven't met her yet, but she was referred to me by some other some other lady i can't remember who and so i was like okay nice that's great but on the inside i'm freaking out so yeah i i'm, I'm so impressed with myself because somehow i like got mrs yang's number from i guess maybe anna's phone and i called mrs yang oh what i was thinking, I was thinking okay please do not please do not don't pick up <laughs> no i want her to pick up right was, right yeah. yeah the only thing worse than her picking up was me leaving like a really weird voicemail and true that ended up being what happened okay. so I, i'm like probably the weirdest voicemail she's ever gotten but it's like hey uh this is uh anna's <laughs> boyfriend uh try to propose to her i need your help and she actually called back in like 10 minutes and oh, nice. she was all about it she was so helpful and so Monday came came around. Anna gets to Mrs. Yang's house, but what she didn't know is that I had gotten to Mrs. Yang's house 45 minutes earlier. Mrs. <laughs> Yang and I had already gotten to hang out. We had a nice lunch together. We're talking. Oh Anna comes over and I'm hiding in the kitchen. Her She's Mrs. your Yang. biggest fan. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Mrs. Yang has a special place in my heart. And oh yeah. So she's talking with Anna. Um, and I'm like, I'm, I'm just having fun, like listening to them make small talk for those few minutes thinking like, oh, Anna's about to be shocked. I finally pop up. Um, Anna cannot believe it. Mrs. Yang, I think even shed a tear. <laughs> and uh, 
I whisked her away to the coast of Florida to the lighthouse and proposed. Um, Mrs. Yang has also, her and her family, they have been prayer partners and supporters ever since. And they're, they're wow. dear friends now. We're thankful that that they're in our lives and we're thankful to share that memory with them. And none of it would be true if it weren't for partnership development. Oh, totally. And, and for my I friend who that. dropped the ball. And for my friend who dropped the ball on setting up the real appointment for Anna. But anyway, yes. that's okay. We it, love it unfaithful great. friends. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, oh man, Mrs. Yang, we need a million more of her. I love that. Yes. And I love too, like you said, it's just the beginning of your story of now, like, she just wants in. She wants to be a part of it. She wants to send you like wherever you go because she's a fan of you and Anna. I mean, she she believes in what God will do through you and she wants in. And I just think that that kind of buy-in from friends and unexpected, you know, family or whoever, it's just so exciting. I think it just builds momentum. It I think it just is an expression of God's love for his people and I don't know. I just yeah, I really love that y'all have someone like Mrs. Yang to to kind of yeah. spur you on in that way. Yeah, I, I love what you said there, Emily, because you're so right. Ultimately, it all ends in praise and thanksgiving to God because God is providing for us through his people and we thank them, but we praise God for that. Hmm. And yeah, people who are partnering with us or partnering with other missionaries, they're giving toward the work. And as they give, they're praising God that they get to participate. They're praising God that they get to steward what he's given them and be a yeah. part of something of eternal significance. And so I love that picture. And it all ends in praise and thanksgiving to God who is good and the giver of all good gifts. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been a stellar conversation, Andrew. I'm wondering, is there something that I didn't ask you that you were really hoping I did or something that you feel like? people listening in, they need to know this if they're going to, you know, kind of enjoy this process of PD, as we call it. Um, what do they need to know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I did have the four hours prepared. So, you know, that you may regret asking me that. But no, just kidding. I, I would want to just, just remind people that partnership development, if I wanted to just put one word after it, I would say partnership development is relational. And so hmm. when I talk to people, they're usually thinking in terms of, okay, partnership development. I got to type up a nice email or send out a mass letter and ask for support. And hopefully people will respond to that. Or maybe they think, okay, I got to start sharing in front of churches, starting with my church. I got to share and tell people hmm. the need. And then hopefully God will provide through that. Obviously, I'm not saying don't share in front of your church. I'm not saying don't send out prayer updates or prayer emails, but those are not the context that I would encourage anyone to use for trying to actual raise, try, trying to actually raise prayer and financial partnership. The reason being, they're just not very personal. They're not relational. Hmm. Not yeah. only do they not really work that well because it's not personal, but even if it did work, I would still encourage people not to do it because it's not in the context of that personal relationship. It's kind of just one-way communication. And we also say a lot that everyone's invite is no one's invite. Everyone's ask is no one's ask. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. that mass invite just doesn't mean much. It's not the same as a personal one where I'm talking to you face-to-face -face and we're dialoguing and 
sharing our hearts and thoughts. The other thing is people also get tripped up because they're like, okay, I get that, but I'm going to talk to people, but I don't want to actually ask. I don't want to actually invite them to be a part. I just need to share about what I'm doing. And then that should be enough because they'll get the hint and they'll respond accordingly. I think that that is also not ideal. It's it's kind of passive for one, because you're basically just hinting, saying nudge, nudge, like I'm going to tell you what I'm doing and nudge, nudge, wink, wink, will you do it? But you're just like scared to ask. But the other thing yeah. is that's not how we operate in other spheres of life. Like how how weird and awkward would it be if I was throwing a birthday party for my daughter and I was talking to to you and your husband, Emily, and I was like, yeah, so... I was telling you all about the party and just talking a lot about it, like when it was, like giving you all these weirdly specific details. You and your husband would probably think, wait, is he trying to invite us or not? Like, it really seems like he's trying to invite us, but yet he's not inviting us. Like, what is going on here? That's just weird. Super clearish. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's not an adequate invite. We we want to actually invite people to be a part, allow, Mm -hmm. ask them a good question. So, you know, ask them if they would be willing to commit to praying for you and receiving your prayer updates and let them respond. That's so much more meaningful. And that's going to result in so much more, I think, prayer support long-term than if you just kind of ask a crowd, it's Mm -hmm. not the same thing. So yeah, that's, that's one thing that I would want to communicate. Do we have time for one more quick thing? Hit us. Yeah, go for it. Well, okay, I'll try to be really brief with this, but I I know I brought up a problem and I just want to address it so that that I'm sure uh, thousands of listeners will have this nagging then. Oh, for sure. I mean, out of our millions of listeners, right? There's probably got to be thousands (laughs) of listeners. That's um, right. But anyway, I want to address this because I brought it up. But to the problem of people feeling like it's not spiritual, I think that that is also an unhelpful way to think because sometimes it's like, well, if I'm, if, if I'm meeting with people and I'm inviting them, that's kind of betraying a lack of trust in God. Shouldn't we just make our ministry known on a broad scale and trust God to move? And to that, I would want to say, mm-hmm. we, we don't want to get confused and make a false dichotomy between God's provision and our efforts or depending Hmm. on God and actually taking steps of faith. What I mean by that is think about evangelism. Think about that context. We would know implicitly that it's wrong to say, well, only God can change someone's heart. Only God can open someone's eyes to, to trust Christ. Therefore, I should not tell people about Jesus because that betrays a lack of faith in the principle that only God can save. So I'm just going to pray. I shouldn't proclaim the gospel. We know that that's not, that's not the right way to think about it at all. Rather, yeah. it's that yeah. prayerful dependence on God should go hand in hand with our sharing of the gospel. And so that's the same way I think we just need to think about it with partnership development. You're pursuing people and having conversations, sharing about God's heart for the world and what you're doing and inviting them to be a part of that. It's possible to do that in a way that is not prayerful or dependent on God. But I think that more rarely happens. I think I think we understand that even as people respond to our invitations, that it's God who's moving and we pray that he will keep moving. Mm-hmm. We pray that he will make our work effectual. And so I just want to say that as well, because God works through means 
And sometimes we can get confused on that and that can trip us up. Yeah. I'm glad you circled back on that. Um, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for revisiting that. Um, it's our prayer that as people lean into these conversations that they would ultimately lean into the heart of God and see, well, then how is God generous with me? Then how do I pray for God's generosity to be uh, reflected through his people? And and ultimately, I think it is just an invitation to go deeper. And so, um, yeah, thanks for all your clarity there, Andrew, and just your your devotion to the work. But like you said, it's it's so much less of that. And your, I think your devotion itself is just the invitation of God, like into our lives and into these partners and the the finishing of the task and at hand of reaching the unreached. And so, yeah, thank you for all your time investing in, in people who are going to be sent out and they're going to develop these partnerships. And we just pray over you and your wife um, as you go. Speaking of that, what's in store for y'all? What's uh, coming down the pipe? What are you, what are you guys up to? Yeah. Yeah, good question. Well, we, after much longer in Florida than we had planned, we are leaving in August. And before we return to the field, we're actually going to do a 10-month training program called Radius. And they're they're basically like a cross-cultural church planting intensive residency program where we're going to learn a lot of principles of language and cultural acquisition and hopefully a lot of things that will be really helpful for us to actually thrive long-term. And I think it, it, it may sound to some kind of counterintuitive of like, okay, you've been in the States for much longer than you plan. So now why would, you know, something like a long training program, why would you let that go? Yeah. 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 Um, But I think I was, I was struck by, as, as we were considering our next move, we, we got to visit the country that we're going to hopefully move to after Radius in December. And we kept hearing people say, the average missionary only lasts about five years here. Whereas mm-hmm. it takes the average missionary at least seven to eight years to start reaching peak effectiveness just because of how long it takes to learn the language and culture and put down roots and all those sorts of things. And so anyway, we are really thankful that we're doing radius because I think it's the kind of thing that is going to set us up to be much more useful over there and hopefully last Mm. longer than we would otherwise. So we're excited. Oh, why not? Yeah, that's incredible. Well, I think down in the show notes, we'd love to maybe put a link there for folks who would, yeah, they want to learn more about what you just you just described, Radius, that 10-month kind of engagement program for folks who are headed over. I think that sounds incredible. And I think we'll also, uh, down below, we'll link some of Andrew's favorite um, book recommendations that these are resources that you recommend often to people who are support raising, as well as just something that you yourself have been really impacted by. So we'll link some books down below that y'all can read, as well as listening to this episode a million more times and enjoying it. And so, um, yeah, the, the guys Andrew, in those books basically plagiarized me, but I let them get away with it. So it's okay. that's fair. Uh, at least we can give credit where credit's due. Um, <laughs> No, totally. Thank you again for this time. And yeah, blessing for you and Anna and your three children as y'all um, are sent back out. And And I pray that your partners can, can bless you and send you and, and bless you abundantly. So 
Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. In this episode, Andrew talked about major life questions and how to make those decisions. At Pioneers, we love to help people figure those things out, especially as it relates to missions. So we are holding a conference this August called Encounter 22. There, you'll have the chance to meet real missionaries and get all your questions answered from the people who are already doing it. Go to pioneers.org encounter to learn more and even register today. Your journey to missions just got clearer. Also, this is the last episode of season two, and we would love to get your feedback. Fill out a two-minute survey via the link in the show notes. And speaking of this being the last episode, y'all, I have really enjoyed this season with you. These conversations were so rich, discussing the barriers of missions. And so if you found them helpful, I'm sure your friends will too. So pass them along so we can keep these conversations going. Talk to you soon.